uh, week two of Advent. We said this was our scripture. This is our uh, key verse for the month from Galatians 4. When the set time had finally come, God sent his son born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. So that's what we, we're using that as our foundation. The key idea for us is time. That's the thing we're going to be looking at the most. Last week we said in the New Testament two words for time, chronos and kairos. Chronos is calendar time, watch time. That's what you live by. That's seconds and minutes and hours and days and weeks and months and years. And there's also kairos time. And that's really what God lives by. That's the right circumstances, the opportune time, the fullness of time. It's that idea of everything coming together. And uh, as Christians, actually as anyone, we have to live in both of those. Whether you're a Christian or not, we want to na- learn how to navigate both Kronos and Kairos. So last week we started in Genesis 1. We said time is created by God. That means it's not God. He is. And time is a good gift. And by good we meant sufficient. You have enough. And so we had that challenge to not say, I don't have time. Until after Christmas. Y'all do okay? Good. If you didn't, you still have time to, uh, to work on that. And it's not just a gimmick. It's seeing time differently. Seeing time as sufficient. Again, as a good gift God has given you, not as a taskmaster. Or this, this, uh, this limited, uh, too limited or insufficient resource uh, that there's never enough of. And we talked about three different lenses, these kind of big picture concepts. Looking at time as a child, I enjoy this good gift. Looking at time as a steward, I recognize my father has given me this and I want to use it in a way that glorifies him. Not because he's going to ask me for the, uh, an end of the year report, kind of a performance review where I'm going to be nervous about whether I met the mark, but more like on in January when you see your grandparents and they say, hey, did you enjoy the gift that I gave you for Christmas? It's much more like that. That's the attitude. And then also approaching time as a disciple, saying Jesus gets to define success. He gets to define what a good day was. He gets to define what a good week was. Nobody else does. He determines what a win is for us. That's part of what it means for him to be our Lord. And so we talked about all three of those things. That's kind of big picture or foundational, however you want to see that. Today, we want to dig a little bit deeper, try to be a bit more practical when it comes to how we deal with Kronos or how we navigate Kronos. So hopefully that will be the case. Hopefully you'll have something you can grab onto, a decent bit of content, too much to absorb all at once. Maybe just grab onto one or two things that resonate uh, with you, and most of this you have heard before. So, seventh and eighth grade, I I was in cotillion. Y'all know what cotillion is? It's like a, it's a class on being classy. And so, obviously, if you spent time around me, you know that I passed with flying colors. One of the things that we learn, super important life skill, ballroom dancing. It's come in handy multiple times for me. First step is the box step. Anybody remember that? So you do this. Forward, side, together. Y'all remember that? Back, side, together. That's the box step. That's the rhythm. Forward, side, together. Back, side, together. There is no box step without forward, side, together. Back, side, together. That, that's it. That's the rhythm. For there to be a box step, you've got to have that, those, those movements. Anything different is not the box step. That's the rhythm of it. 
And when we first started in seventh grade, the tempo or the pace was, it was slow. It was first time, like we, you had the girl and you're about this far apart and it was all about not stepping on feet at that point and trying not to look down. And so the rhythm was really slow. It was forward, side, together, back, side, together. That's what we did. And then by the time of eighth grade, we got a little better. You go a little faster. The tempo picked up. Forward, side, together, back, side, together. Tempo changes. Rhythm doesn't. Always one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. That's the rhythm. Pace or tempo can be different. One, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, or one, two, three, one, two. You get that. Same thing is true with our life. There's a rhythm and there's a pace. Rhythm is universal and it's timeless. It's Sudan and South Korea and Georgia and France in 2016 and in 1812 and in 562. It's the same. Rhythm is timeless and universal. It's objective. Pace or tempo is highly individualistic and very subjective. And we're going to try to hit both of those things today. Rhythm we've talked about before. You see it in Genesis 1 and 2. The reason we're beginning in Genesis 1 and 2 is that's where we see God's original design, his original desire. Sin enters the world in Genesis 3. So prior to that, we see God's plan. This is what I wanted everything to look like. This is how I wanted things to operate. Operate. This is the way I want everything to operate. It got messed up in Genesis 3 with the fall. So if you want to see what God wanted, what he wanted life to look like, read Genesis 1 and 2. And then you can skip all the way to the very end and read Revelation 21 and 22, and you'll see all kinds of parallels. He's bringing us, in a sense, he's bringing us back to Genesis 1 and 2. You'll see all kinds of parallels between those two bookends of the Bible. So God's at work from Genesis 4 all the way through Revelation 19, trying to restore what has been marred and broken. Trying to redeem what's been lost. That's what he, that's the work that he's trying to do. So when we look at Genesis 1 and 2, we see a snapshot. Not tons of detail, but we see a hint. We see a snapshot of what God desires for life to look like. And that's why I can say it's timeless and it's universal. Because it's written in Genesis 1 and 2 before any sin had entered the world. And the ship. We've talked about this before. We're not going to dive deep into each one. Today, we did a summer series on this in June. You can look at, go back online. It's, it's, it's called the Summer Series. We're very creative in our naming. And you can find, there's a, we did a night on rest and a night on work and a night on relationship. You can get more detail. I'm going to give you a big overview. Every one of these elements, each of, each of these three elements, has a vertical and a horizontal component. Rest, vertical, horizontal, work, vertical, horizontal, relationship, vertical, horizontal. So you start with rest. Seventh day, God rested. We see this in Genesis 2, 2, and 3. On the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. He rested on the seventh day from all his work that he'd done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because in it God rested from all his work and the work he had done in creation. Was God tired? No, God doesn't get tired. He's infinite. Nothing is hard for him. He never wears out. He never needs to take a nap. He, he, he doesn't get tired. He rested for us. And you can see this in Mark. So the idea of rest in the Old Testament very quickly becomes the idea of Sabbath. That's the day. 
that they set apart, the Jews, the Israelites, excuse me, set apart for rest is the Sabbath. And by the time of Jesus, it's gotten completely misunderstood. It's gotten out of whack. There's 39 big buckets of things that Jews are not allowed to do. And within each of those buckets, there's tons of little, there's hundreds of rules around what you can't do on the Sabbath. Incredibly burdensome. And Jesus tries to cut through all that and say, listen, the Sabbath is a gift to you from God. Mark 2.27, man is not made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. The Sabbath was a gift. From Rest is a gift from God to us. God didn't need to rest, but he set a pattern for us, working six days and resting one. And so as we proceed, even though we live on this side of the cross, even though we're new covenant people, we continue to need to rest. There's a vertical and a horizontal component. Vertically, it's trusting Jesus. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest for your souls. Hebrews 4, half of that chapter is about the Sabbath rest that we can enter as Christians. So trusting Jesus, that's a recognition that I don't have to work my way into heaven. My relationship with God is not based on my track record and it's not based on my behavior. It's based on the fact that he's adopted me into his family and he's forgiven me of my sins because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. The work that Jesus did, his work, allows me to rest. That's what it means to rest vertically. It means to trust Jesus for your salvation. To recognize your relationship with God is based on what Jesus has done, not based on what you did. It's by grace we've been saved. It's not a result of works so that no one can boast. And so that's, that's rest vertically. And there's also rest horizontally. Sleep is a part of it. And so is play. Anything that you consider renewing, restoring, that's, that's moral and righteous. It's, it's all on the table. There's not, there's not a list of specific things. It's pretty personal. What are the things? Is it... You like to hike, you like to read, you like to play golf, you like to play tennis, you like to knit. What, what's the thing? What brings you life? What restores your soul? What, what when, you, when you're done doing it, you feel better than when you started. That's what you're looking for. Incorporating those things into your life. So there's vertical and horizontal rest. And then there's work. In the old, we see God... Resting from his work. He works six days and then he rests seven. But think about Adam and Eve. They're created on day six. Their first day is day seven, and so they don't do anything. They work from rest. Their first day in existence is it's, it's the Sabbath. It's a day off. They don't do anything. And that's where we live. We rest and then we work. We work from rest. We don't rest from work. If rest is intentional non-productivity, and it is, work is our contribution. It's us being productive. It's the things that we do. And as a vertical and a horizontal component as well. Vertically, at Stonebridge, we call it doing your deal. It's the good works that God has created in advance for you to do. It's how you make disciples. It's how you cooperate with what God is doing in the world. That's your vertical work, and every, every one of you, if you're following Jesus, he has a calling. That's what we call that. You have a calling on your life. There are things that God has created for you to do that have eternal significance, and he is inviting you to engage with him in that work. That's vertical. And there's also horizontal work. For most of us, that's what we get paid to do. Some of you work in, the, in your home. You don't get paid, but that, that's the way you contribute to society is by raising 
healthy, well-adjusted kids. Students, your work is to go to school. It's that, it's that bulk of your week stuff. It's your Monday to Friday thing. It's your job. It's your career. It's your occupation. We, that's, the, that's the horizontal. When God says to Adam, I'm going to put you in the garden, and I want you to take care of it, that's his work. Sometimes we think work as a result of the fall then enters the picture. Toil, thistles, trouble, sweating, all of that is the result of the fall. But work in and of itself is a good thing. Gardening, that's what Adam did. That's not, that's not necessarily spiritual work. It's a good thing. It's something that God created us to work. He created us to cultivate. He created us to create and to produce. That's, that's part of what it means to be created in the image of God. So don't think in your mind that when you retire, you're done with working. It's not necessarily the case. Again, as someone created in the image of God, there are always things that he has for you, things that have eternal significance and things that, that serve other people, things that we would say, that's just tend in a garden. But in his mind, what you do Monday to Friday is spiritual or secular, is that it really doesn't matter if it's righteous, if it's moral work, it's not sinful, then it's a good gift that God has given to you and that through you he wants to give to others. So we work vertically and we work horizontally, and then we also have relationship. That's heart connection. So we have intentional non-productivity, rest, our contribution, work, and then we have relationship. That's heart connection, both vertical and horizontal. Eternal life is knowing God. That's it. Knowing God is experiential in the Bible. It's not intellectual. So eternal life is experientially, personally knowing God. That's what it is. So when you think about heaven, don't necessarily think about a place, a destination. Think about a relationship. That's heaven. It's, it's, God, it's relating to God with naked and without shame, freely and fully. No more confusion, no more misunderstandings. That's heaven. It's relational. Again, it's not geographical. And so there's a vertical relationship and there's horizontal. It's our relationships with one another. And again, they're naked and without shame. That's what we see in Genesis 2. God can say to Adam, it's not good for you to be alone, even though Adam's in perfection. Everything God's made is good. At the end of day six, he says it's very good. And then he can say to Adam, but it's not good that you're alone. You've got these animals and you've even got me. Imagine that. God's saying to Adam, who is relating to him unencumbered. And he can say, it's still not good for you to be by yourself. It's not an issue of whether you're married or single. It's an issue of whether you're in community or whether you're isolated. You can be married and be as isolated as if you're on a desert island. And you can be single and you can have full and rich family and community. Again, it's not, about, it's not a marital status issue. It's a... It's a community of people that are transparent. They know what's going on in your life and vulnerable. They can speak into what's going on in your life. That's what it means to be naked without shame. If the answer is yes, then you're doing well in that area. If the answer is no, then we need some work. So those three elements, forward, side, together, back, side, together. Rest, work, relationship. Rest, work, relationship. Vertical and horizontal. You want all six things, those kind of six dimensions all happening. And that's what God has given you sufficient time for. When I say the gift of time is good, it's sufficient. It's sufficient for the life God wants you to lead. And this is it. Specifics may change, but the rhythm doesn't. It's universal and it's timeless. It applies to you. 
This is what this is what he's given you enough time for. He's given you enough time in a day and a week and a month and a year to rest, to trust him, to rest, to sleep and to play. He's given you enough time to work, to do things of eternal significance, to live out his calling on your life and to work, to contribute to society, relate to him and to relate to other people. You have enough time for those things. What you may not have enough time to do is that, well, you're living your life. He doesn't promise anything around that. The good gift is to live life the way he has ordered it to be led. And I think it's in James, Jesus, uh, we read, God opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble. So he opposes the proud. Think of proud or prideful as independent, self-sufficient. Do things my own way. I know better. My plan. God opposes people who live life that way and who approach him that way. He gives grace to the humble. Think dependent, submissive, obedient, trusting, recognizing. God, I may not understand, but I'm going to... So take that truth. God opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble. And then take this idea. There's a rhythm of life, rest, work, and relationship, and you put them together. For many of us, our issue is not that we don't have enough time. It's that we don't have enough grace. And the reason we don't have enough grace is because we haven't submitted to God when it comes to how we're living our lives. We haven't said, I recognize rest, work, and relationship. I'm incorporating those things into my life. What we say is, I don't have time to rest. Or I don't have, there there aren't any people here for me to connect with deeply. Or I don't know how to connect with you, God, on an ongoing basis. Or I don't know what the good works are that you, or I'm scared to live out your calling on my life. Or, or, I can't walk away from this job. I have to do what my boss says, even if it's 80 or 90 hours a week. We're we're out of rhythm. And because we're out of rhythm, there's, there's no grace for that at all. There's grace for rest, work, and relationship. There's not grace for work and relationship. There's not grace for just rest and work. There's not grace for that. You're, you're not doing this intentionally, but we're, you're opposing him. That's Pride, God, I, I'm, I'm going to live my life the way I'm going to live it. That's not, what you're in, that's not what you're consciously thinking, but that's the way you're living, and there's no grace for it. And that's why you're tired, and you're harried, and you're hurried, and you're ragged. It's not because you don't have enough time. It's because you don't have enough grace. And so you're carrying your life on your own, and as wonderful as you are, you cannot do that for long. Two major areas where we miss it. We miss it in all, we can, you can miss it in any one of those three areas, vertical or horizontal. Two that I see pretty common where we live. People miss it when it comes to horizontal rest. It seems like the more people who live in your house, the less likely it is that you're going to rest. And you've got to do that. And you say, I don't have time to. And I'm saying you don't have time not to. Because your option, then, you're going to work more thinking, I'm getting more done. You're not. Because once you've done that, you've stepped outside of the stream of God's grace. So all you've got are your own resources. And as wonderful as you are, your flesh is still sorry. And that's what you're doing. You're working in your flesh. If you'll choose to rest then what you're saying, you're submitting to God, you're putting yourself under his authority, you're recognizing, even though it doesn't make sense on paper, that his way is best, you're trusting him. And that kicks his grace in. 
And he gets things done when you're not working, and he gets things done through you. You wind up getting more things done when you rest because you're cooperating with God, with the way he's set up life to be lived. Sleep and play. I mentioned this book called Essentialism. It's about focus, and the guy's got a chapter on sleep. There's an interesting, two interesting things he says. Uh, there was a study of some violinists uh, several years back. A guy named Erickson did the study, and he wanted to figure out what differentiates good from great. What differentiates average from the best? All of these guys are talented. What is it that differentiates? And a guy named Malcolm Gladwell uh, popularized this idea. It's called the 10,000-hour rule. If you want to be an expert at something, you practice for 10,000 hours. That's what moves you from good to great. That's what makes you a master of something. And so that's encouraging. All it takes is work, just time. You just put the time in. You do 10,000 hours in the violin, you're going to be a great violinist. 10,000 hours in the pool, you're going to be a great swimmer. 10,000 hours behind the guitar, you're going to be a great musician. Whatever, you just you put in the time. But what uh, the second prominent differentiating factor, the number two uh, reason, I guess, catalyst for why some people are good and some people are great, it wasn't practice. Number two was sleep. The best slept more, 8.6 hours a day, which is more than most of us get. And they napped about three hours over the course of a week. It was sleep is one of the things that took people from good to great. We're wired in a way that we have to rest, and that includes sleep. A professor of sleep at Harvard Medical School, he's done a study, and he says an all-nighter. So that's going all night without sleeping. Or a week where you're sleeping four or five hours a night. That the, the cumulative effect of that, so when you, when you go to class or you go to work after an all-nighter or on Friday after you've had that week of only getting a handful of hours each night, the impairment that you experience is the same as if you had a blood alcohol level of 0.1%, which is that's a, that's, you would get a DUI if you got pulled over with that blood alcohol level. That's the impairment physically. That's just what happens when we don't sleep. We're, we're wired for rest. And so we've got to sleep, but we also need to play. You've got to figure out what are the things that you enjoy. And some of you don't even remember. You haven't enjoyed anything in like nine years. And, and you've got to figure it out. And your kids' activities, are, that's not, don't lie. <laughs> you don't enjoy Chuck E. Cheese. You don't enjoy the bouncy place. You don't enjoy standing on the sideline. And you certainly don't enjoy sitting in traffic driving people around. What do you enjoy? What brings you life? You may have a bad back and bad knees now, and you've got to figure out something else because what you did in high school doesn't work anymore. But what is it? Intentionally non-productive. I've talked to people, and they're like, oh, when I, when I rest, that's when I, I'm doing the laundry. You come rest at my house then. That's not true. That's not true. Intentionally non-productive. If there's side benefits, there's side benefits. But the reason you're doing it is for the enjoyment of the activity. And so what are those things for you? Do you know? And if you don't know, let's figure that out. It may be physical. It may be. It may not be. It may be active. It may not. It, that doesn't matter. As long as it's moral and righteous, then it's anything that brings you life. And that needs to be incorporated. Day, week, month, year. Some people say, well, the way I rest is travel. You can't do that every day. You can't do that every week. And most people can't even do that every month. So what are, the, 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 what are some other things in addition to that? 
that bring life to you. For some of you, the most uh, trusting thing you can do, the biggest faith step you can make is to do nothing. Because in that moment, when you choose to be non-productive, what you're saying is, God, I trust that you've got it. And I trust that you're good, and I'm not the one that holds everything together. When you choose to turn your phone off, when you choose just to go to sleep, when you choose not to check your email the first thing when you wake up in the morning, those types of things, for some of you, there is no greater step of faith than to intentionally be nonproductive. The second area where we, especially in this church, because of our emphasis on doing your deal and finding out your calling, one of the places where we kind of we can create confusion or frustration has to do with our job and our calling and confusing or conflating those. Bo's a great picture of this. So three years ago, Bo's job was to sell chicken. That's what he did. That's how he paid the bills. He worked for a great company led by Christian leadership. It was, an, it was a great place where he worked. But his calling, at least since I've known him, for the last 10 years has been to lead people into the presence of God. And selling chicken doesn't necessarily do that. There's not a lot of overlap, even though it was a Christian environment where he worked and he was able to encourage people and do those kinds of things. In general, for Bo to get at his calling, he did it outside of his job at Tip Top. That's not what they paid him to do. And so he led worship in student ministries and children's ministries. He led worship in small groups. He led worship here for free for a number of years. His calling in his job, didn't necess- they didn't, there wasn't a ton of overlap there. And then about three years ago, we hired, almost four years ago now, we hired him full time and those circles came more together. They're still not, a, they're, they're not, it's not a perfect overlay. I don't know anyone where they perfectly overlay. But Bo does get paid now to lead worship. He gets paid to lead people into the presence of God. But he also gets paid to make sure that we stay on budget and he gets paid to make sure the construction project gets done on time. And there are places where he leads worship where he doesn't get paid. He's leading worship someplace this week for a Christmas event. It's outside of the scope of his role here at Stonebridge. Again, I, but I think for some of us, that idea of job and calling or of vocation and occupation, however you want to say that, that, that can create tension for us. We either say, I don't have time to have a calling because my job takes up so much. Or we just collapse and say, I'm just going to make my job my calling because I don't know what God has for me. And I want to encourage you, don't try to make them the same thing. If you can get paid to live out your calling, that's great. If you can get paid, if you can be, to get paid, you can be in an environment where you can get at some things that are in your heart. That's wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. But it's not necessary. Paul got paid to make leather goods. His calling was to be an apostle to the Gentiles. So you don't, a calling is less than if you're not getting paid for it. Many people's callings cannot be monetized, and it's fine. It's good. It's, it's good. Don't, I don't want you stressing about that. But I also don't want you thinking that what you do Monday to Friday is God's calling on your life. It's not. There's something underneath that. In your job, what you do Monday to Friday may give you access. It may be a a way that you get at, but it's not the same. Even parenting, because you're only going to parent for X number of years. Your calling is until you die. We change jobs every four and a half years, even with parenting. They, at some point, people tell me they leave. And when they do, things change. And so that's even something like that. 
I want to encourage, I just don't want you to confuse those two things or push those two things together. I want you to recognize they're, they're probably, there's not going to be perfect overlap. The more your circles overlap, that's just great for you, but they don't have to. So begin to ask the Lord, what does it look like vertically and horizontally? What are the things that you have for me? What's the work that you have for me to do? The stuff that I can get paid for, the, the, the role you have me in in my house or my community where I may volunteer, and the things that contribute to what you're doing in our world. So that's rhythm, and you have grace for that if you live in that rhythm, rest, work, relationship. You have enough time to do those things. Pace is different. Pace is very individualized. It's very personalized. There's not a lot I can tell you. Galatians 5.25, super important. Walk in the Spirit. Live in step with the Spirit. Let your life be conformed. Let your behavior be shaped by the influence of the Spirit. So, so important. If you're going to have... So the Holy Spirit, He's the gas and He's the brake in your life. And so we want to develop and cultivate a heart that can hear him, even on a daily basis. That's that's what it looks like to be led. I know that's nebulous and kind of squishy to get your your mind around. It's the best I can do. Here's a picture maybe that will help as you think about your own life. Which one do you see yourself as more often? Are you a sheep and you feel like I'm being led by a good shepherd? Or do you feel like a cow who's being driven with somebody's got a whip behind you? And if you slow down or if you get off course, that you're going you're gonna to feel it. You live with the sense of expectation, constantly pressure, overly responsible, never having enough time. Is that how? That's not the Lord. Read the Gospels. Did Jesus ever seem like he was in a hurry? Did he ever seem like he was stressed out? Even at his most extreme point of distress in the garden, it has nothing to do with time at that point. And so if you're feeling that with time, that's, that's not, you're not being led. And use that as a diagnostic in your own life. Again, it's very subjective. What's the pace that God wants you to live? Some people live slow. Some people live more, more a faster pace. A lot of the things that determine pace are external. Some of your students, your pace picks up at the end of the semester when you got finals. If you play a sport, your pace picks up when you during the season of that sport. Some of you have gone from single to married. Your pace changes when you get married. Some of you have gone from no kids to one to two to three. Your pace changes with each child. Some of you you've gotten promotions. Your pace changes with your job change. All, all, and all of those things are external. There's nothing wrong with anyone and any of those things. And your, pace cha- your rhythm never changes. Work or rest, work, relationship. It's always those three. How fast or how slow, that's, again, very subjective. And in some ways, it's circumstantial. And that's why it's so important for us to be led by the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, we very quickly become driven by the desire to please others, by... Um, a need to succeed, whatever. It's very easy for us to fall into a driven mindset. And you think about where we are now on December 4th. Super easy during Christmas to feel like, man, I just got to knock it out. Trees and presents and family and party and end of the year reviews and all of the things that you've got to do. In addition to all the other things you're already, it's easy to become driven just by the day on the calendar. 
to be driven by December 25th as a deadline or whenever your thing is. Very easy to fall into that. So to cultivate a heart that's led, that requires a bit of discipline daily. Holy Spirit, I don't even know what this means. I want to be led by you. Give me a heart that's sensitive to your leadership when it comes to how I spend my time. I may say, you know what, I've got lunch and it's open and I want that for me. But it's yours. Do you want me to reach out to somebody instead? I've got this thing on Friday and I want to go. But do you, is it best for me to say yes or no? I mean, even to that level of detail, and you're going, I, I'm not even close to that at this point. It's just as an example. Maybe you think about when you think about your calendar, if you keep one. Is it already full before you've even brought the Lord into the picture? And you're trying to squeeze him in in your spare, your open 15-minute blocks? Or is it something where you lay and say, before him say, this is what I, I, lead me. I'm not sure what to change. It very well may be that what the Holy Spirit would say to you is run faster. He may say that. I don't know. He may not. But that's part of what it means to be led. It's, he's the brake and he's the accelerator. So it's bringing him into the process. It's kind of what we talked about last week saying, Jesus is the Lord, so he gets to determine success for me, whatever that looks like on a daily, weekly, monthly, yearly basis. And so submitting myself to him when it comes to that. And that, again, that's a squishy concept. I want to encourage you to dive into it. The, the rhythm thing is universal and timeless. That's objective. Pace is much more subjective. It's much more personalized. It changes. And so we need to be sensitive to the leadership of the spirit. We, again, very quickly become driven and What that looks like is frustrated and harried and hurried and tired. That's what that begins to look like very quickly because we've stepped outside of the grace that God has for us. So here's how we're going to close. You've got two options. One, you can stay in your seat, which you'll be standing. You can stay in your place and you can sing. There's a song that we're going to sing, Give Me Faith, and that's what we need. Faith is trust. And when it comes to our time and being led and incorporating these different elements, it requires trust in us. It's hard for us to say, God, I'm going to give you leadership and lordship when it comes to how I spend my time. We're nervous about what that's going to mean. We like being in control of that. So, God, you've got to give me faith. And so if you stay in your seat, I want you to sing this song as a prayer. We're also going to have ministry teams up here, and we'll pray with you about anything at all that you have going on. But I would say particularly... If you feel driven, let us pray for you. That is, a, that is not God's desire for you. When you look at those pictures, if you're like, that is, that is me. I constantly feel the whip on my back. Please let us pray for you. You're not going to be condemned. Nobody's going to tell you what to do with your schedule. Nobody's going to try to fix anything. It's not a time management issue for most of us. We're going to pray for God to deliver you, to encourage you, to remind you of who you are. Uh, as a son or as a daughter, and trust that he'll lead you into the specifics of how that plays out. So you guys can stand. Bo and the team will come back up, and he'll dismiss us after this song. So let me just pray. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come and to do your work here. I don't want anybody to feel condemned. I don't want anybody to feel heavy. So easy for all of this stuff to become a legalism, and we don't want to do that. 
We want to live in rhythm. The idea there is rhythm, not balance. It's not a third, a third, a third. God worked six and rested one. That's why we need to be led on a regular basis. So God, help us. God, I want to pray particularly for those who came in today on two wheels. They are worn out. It's the fourth, and they're already counting down the days until the 26th. God, I pray for deliverance for those men and women, that they would find rest for their souls here this morning, that you would minister to them as a good shepherd and as a good father. God, for all of us, we want to live in your grace. We want to make sure we're always available to the grace that you want to give. So we want to be humble. God, we don't want to be proud. We don't want to go off on our own, assuming we know better than you. So as you bring our lives into alignment with your created order, God, will we, will we all enjoy the fruit of living in a rest, work, relationship rhythm under the leadership of your spirit? In Jesus' name, amen.